Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter, copy strategist, and founder of Copyworks. Join me each week as I speak with experts in the fields of marketing, copywriting, decision-making, psychology, and more, all with one goal, to help you attract your ideal customers and inspire them to take action. My guest today is Karen Nicholas. Karen has held a lot of different communications roles in the past, from internal communications to media relations, and she's worked both in-house and for PR agencies. She's also worked in a number of industries and is currently the communications manager of social and digital engagement for Treehouse Foods. So fun fact, Karen says she's an avid baker and has tried dozens and dozens of recipes until she found the perfect chocolate chip recipe. So I'm going to ask her about that. And so today for our talk, she spills the tea on how do you capture your audience's attention when you're trying to communicate with them and how do you keep their attention while you're presenting? So this and a whole lot more we dive into starting now. Okay. Welcome, Karen. I am so excited to have you on today. We've been We've been chatting so much before this interview that it's like we should have just turned the, the mics on about half hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good conversation to be had, right? Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Communication. What a segue, right? Right into <laughs> to the topic. But you know, before I even get into that, I have a question about what you said in your bio about searching for the perfect chocolate chip recipe. So I need to know, cause, do you know I'm a former baker? I don't know if you knew this. No. How did I not know this? Oh, because I'm one of these serial entrepreneurs. I've been through so many different incarnations of careers. I used to own a bakery and I actually taught baking and I um, I was a pastry chef the whole bit. So my question is with cookies now, chocolate chip cookies, do you like mm-hmm. the soft ones or the crunchy ones? What was your goal? <laughs> I feel like that's the perfect question to ask. And it's asked by someone that knows what they're talking about because most people say, oh, I love cookies, but there, there's differences. There's nuance. Yes, there are nuances. I like the soft ones. I'm a soft cookie girl, although I have a friend, they want them crunchy as can be. So you never know, right? Yeah. Okay. So you, you achieved your goal, is, I guess. I did. I did. What's your preference? I kind of like them crispy. You know what it is? I think the the store-bought ones tend to be softer, but they put a lot of artificial ingredients in it to get them that way. I think if it was homemade... I don't know. As long as the chips are plentiful, I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really good, right? Like no cheap chips, like go for the good stuff. Right. The imported chocolate chopped up into pieces. Yeah. We can yeah. go on with this for a while, obviously. But yeah, chocolate chips, that's that's quite a polarizing thing, I think, with people with what type. But <laughs> so when we talk about, obviously, your your background is all about communication. So when you're talking to an audience People, it's so hard to get people's attention nowadays. So how do you, first of all, what kind of audiences do you tend to speak? Like what have, has been your experience? And then how do you capture their attention? Well, there must be different types of audiences. Yeah, it depends who I'm, you know, who I'm working for, right? Am I working for a corporation that's talking to other corporations? Which I would then go ahead to say, it doesn't matter if it's business to business or business to consumer, because we're all humans at the end of the day. Right. So We're all just talking to one another, but I do think it slightly changes your message a little bit. Also, are you talking to a younger demographic, an older demographic? So a lot of that just depends. And so I've done a little of everything in my career. I think 
where I currently do a lot of communication is internal to employees, but I still freelance with other companies where we'll do external and we'll be talking to other clients. But again, as I mentioned earlier, I think that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions I run into is people think, oh, it's business to business. I'll just go real technical and they know what I'm talking about. And that's not the case. You know, you have a curse of knowledge that you're working with and you assume that they're at the same level and you assume that they get excited about the same things you do. And that's not the case. Like, unless you're speaking to their pain points, they don't really care what you have to say, whether it's a business to business or business to consumer. Right. And isn't it true? Because I know this is with copywriting. When you speak more simply, and I'm not talking about talking down to people because people always assume that it's like, oh, with copy. I don't think you should dumb down your copy. It's not dumbing down. It's making things clear. And when you put in complicated words or anything that makes people hesitate, it to me, it's like putting speed bumps in your messaging. Like people have to stop for a second, even if they know what it is. I mean, it's not that they don't know what it is, but they it might make them stop. Is it the same with when you're communicating with verbally? Absolutely. And that's the best analogy. Speed bumps. That's perfect because that's exactly what you're doing. You're giving them a chance to disengage, right? Like everything that you... Someone was just sharing something with me recently. I don't... I'm trying to think. I think it was an email and they were... I was reading through the email and I stopped reading and I thought, I have no idea what that means. I have no idea what they're talking about. Therefore, I don't care. Was it a so word I, or two or was it a, just the topic? In yeah, the it was several words to your point that it wasn't a simplistic, easy to digest message. It was... 30 to 40 words in one sentence. And it was, you know, complicated words and words that you had to stop and think about. And you're not making it easy. What is it? They did a study where they rank the different types of publications you may read. They give them like a zero to 100 ranking or something like this. For example, like the funnies, the comics are ranked at like a 50 or 60. You need, you know, like a seventh grade education to understand them. But an auto insurance report is like something in the 20s or the teens. You need a graduate PhD to understand it. And the whole point of the survey was, who are you talking to? And, you know, they've shown, what is it? Something like 11 words or less, you're close to 90% comprehension. But once you start getting bigger, longer sentences, comprehension decreases. So to your point, not only is it using words that are maybe not readily accessible or things that people quickly understand. It's also, you're making it too long. You're making it too complicated. You're putting too many speed bumps in. You're not making it easy. I mean, that's the thing we need. There was a reason a couple of years ago, CNN started putting bullet points at the top of all their articles because nobody was reading the articles. People just wanted the big themes because they weren't reading them. And I think there's something to be said for that as we communicate, whether it's written or verbal, simplicity is your best friend. But that's, I mean, as we both know, writing simplistically is very challenging. It's, oh, yeah. And to your point, it's not dumbing it down. It's further clarifying. It's picking and choosing every single word, which makes it that much harder. And it's also, as you mentioned about sentence length, it's not just like you want to have one, you want to say one thing, one thought per sentence. And most people try to get in everything at once, especially I see this a lot on landing pages, website pages. And it, it just defeats the purpose because you it's so easy to just break up a sentence. It's probably the easiest way to make something easier to read. And the other thing along the same lines is to use long sentences and mix them in with shorter ones. It's almost like having a rhythm to your writing. I had 
someone tell me years ago that he says you're and he was a a musician. He said your writing has a good beat to it. I thought that was awesome. He said because it's like I don't even know if he knew why, but I know it's because I vary the sentence length. Because when you don't, it's like speaking in a monotone. Every sentence is the same. Absolutely. It's like, give me, give me colons, give me ellipses, give me short sentences, long sentences, give me one word. There's a reason if you see a catchy headline or you see different teasers, there's a reason that stands out and catches your attention. It's, it's got variation. And to your point, that variation gives it a rhythm and it gives it an unpredictability quality, which is nice. So you're not kind of lulled into this monotone experience. And speaking in that tone, it just, there's nothing worse. I mean, I can hear it like with <laughs> some talks that you just, especially if you're kind of just outside of earshot and all you hear is the tone, because I've had this happen where I'm like, I don't know who that is that's speaking. I don't know what they're talking about, but I'm bored just being outside here. So, <laughs> well, what can someone do to keep an audience's attention along like these lines? Like, first, before you do anything else, step back. Step out of your persona and think about your audience. Why do they care? Why should they care? Mm -hmm. Why should they stop? Why should they listen to you? Why should they read what you have to say? What's in it for them? And that's one thing I, you know, I'll start writing something or creating a presentation and I have to stop and step back and go, okay, who cares? Mm -hmm. Who cares? I, years ago, I worked for a PR agency and I was working with this writer that was very accomplished and he's helped out with Disney and did all kinds of different writing projects. And he would give us our stuff back edited and he would always put a sticky note on it that said, who cares? And I think that's probably the first thing to do is figure out why it matters um, before you do anything else. And then to to what we were just talking about, keep your sentences simple and vary the length, but keep, you know, you can vary it up, but don't give them 40 words. Don't give them 50 words. If you're speaking... Think about where would you take a breath? Where would you pause? Like no one wants to hear 40 words all at once. And then I think if you get some of those basic things out of the way, then think about what's interesting. Like what makes you stop and pay attention? This is what I spend all day thinking about a ridiculous amount of time. And I don't always have good solutions for it. But I think about like, what would make me stop scrolling? What makes me care about this? I like fun, quirky statistics. I love a story. You know, stories resonate with us. You know, the audience is 65% more likely to recall it three days later if it was, the information was wrapped in a story. Stories resonate. Stats are kind of fun. Just something surprising, like in the Heath Brothers book, Made to Stick, they talk about what makes, like, what are some of the things that make a great piece of copy or a great presentation? And, you know, one of them is the unexpected, right? Something that's different, something that we're not used to. And another thing they talk about is concrete, like give me something that I can relate to, that I understand that will stick with me. And I think that that is something we, we forget, right? We get so busy writing website copy or creating this presentation about X, Y, and Z. We forget that this needs to be engaging. This needs you are selling to this audience. You're trying to grab their attention. And I often just think about it as a consumer of information. What makes me stop? And once you start thinking about what makes you stop scrolling, I like jot those ideas down, right? Like if I see a really good thing or if I see a really bad one, I keep it too because I think, okay, I don't want to do this. Right. And so I think it's anything, you know, as we said, stories and examples and statistics and fun words, 
we use the same words over and over. And I know in grade school, we all learned on a monopia, you know, those fun words like pop, snap, crash, but they do actually have their use in everyday language. Like if you were to say, the guy approached the stage, or if you said a hush fell over the crowd as the guy approached the stage, I mean, you can give your writing or your storytelling some some color. There's so many words out there that we just don't use. I did a LinkedIn post not too long about this where I was like, we need to use the word persnickety more. We need to, there's just fun words out there that you can use that kind of pull people in. And so I think those are just some simple ways you can pull people in. And I mean, you don't have to come up with the greatest scheme, but just kind of give it some thought and pay attention to what makes you stop scrolling. Because I think that's, there's some truth in that. Yeah. I also like, and this is when you said using like examples, I love using analogies and I've kind of gotten known for that because for some reason they pop into my head really easily. And I was talking, you know, you and I were talking earlier, I did a, a, a talk before a group of marketers yesterday. And one of the things I did was I brought up an email that I had written for a client who had a really great response to, and it started out, one of the emails I wrote said, um, do you ever have one of those dreams where you're sinking in quicksand and no matter how much you try to run, you can't, you know, and then I compared it to being using this outdated type of program. And so, but right away, I mean, you can visualize that whole thing because we've always had those weird kind of dreams where you just want to run and you can't go anywhere. So I think too, coming up with something like that is colorful, like just putting people in that place instead of saying the, the whole thing I could have said, you know, did you ever feel like you're getting nowhere? with your process. I mean, so, you know, that's what everyone would expect, but it's like, I don't expect to be compared to like, you know, sinking into a, a vat of quicksand and not being able to get out. Or I think I used the phrase, something about the La Brea tar pits and the woolly mammoth. And I went off with that for a while, but it worked. And, you know, it, uh, people get, get people's attention, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. There was a story about, there was a nonprofit and they were trying to bring awareness particularly in Africa, of how many kids, I think this was also in Made to Stick by the Heath Brothers, about how many kids are dying from diarrhea and things like that. And so, you know, you share statistics, they would do, it just wasn't sticking with the audience. And so finally, one, I don't know if it was the doctor or the leader of the organization, I'm not sure, he would bring, I think it was a teaspoon of salt and eight teaspoons of sugar. And that's all you need to add to water to stop the diarrhea. And so, when he was meeting with people, he would pull those things out on the table with a bottle of water. And that left, I mean, people remembered that. Right. They weren't remembering the statistics, but they remembered it when he showed them what a simple solution there was to stop it. And so I think that's what, to your point, like giving it some extra time to think of an analogy or to think of something that makes it stick, that makes it resonate with your audience. You know, they often say someone will share a statistic it means nothing to us. But when you take it to one person and you make it applicable to one person, then it matters, right. you know, or if something they understand, like if something is so-and-so many square feet, well, we have no idea what that is. But if you say it's the size of California, then right. we remember. And so I think it's just putting in a little extra effort to make it relatable. And your point about the quicksand is perfect because everyone remembered that story then. They remembered how you started, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And you also brought up another point, which is visuals. And this is more for if you're actually in person. Um, there was something about, oh, it's just visuals are just always good. Like 
one of the best ways to sell in marketing is to have somebody demonstrating the product. If this is more B to C than B to B, but if it's a product and you show them, and you'll see all those vacuum cleaner commercials where people throw M&Ms on the floor or something, but it, it leaves that impression. I mean, to visually see something like that is powerful. And then the next, you know, best thing would be to have them create the visual in their own minds with your words. So yeah, I mean, those things are all, th- those were questions that came up yesterday when I was talking about, somebody asked me about visuals within an email, like memes and GIFs, which has been a, a huge thing in emails. And I believe that GIFs have been shown to be uh, more likely to have people pay attention to the email, but I haven't done specific research on it, so I couldn't really say, but it depends on your audience all the time, right, too. Absolutely. And his book, Talk Like Ted, Carmen Gallo, he he shared a statistic that if you use an image, your content, the audience is more likely to recall it. They have a rate of 65% recall rate several days later, if an image accompanies it. And so that stuck with me because I thought, okay, this is an easy one, right? Why aren't we using images on our PowerPoint slides? Why aren't we using images in our emails? A lot of times with work, even if it's internal corporate email, I will create a banner to put at the top or I'll do a quote or I'll pull out because images help people retain information. And so I feel like it's just another tool to have in your toolbox and why not use it? It's so easy to use. And if it means retention increases, I'm there for it. It's not just, you don't want to just share the information. You want them to retain it. You want them to remember what was it? Where did they learn it from? Or what product was it? Or what company was doing it? And so I think that's, I mean, why not use the visuals? They're there and we know they make an impact. And I don't think we lose anything by using them. I haven't seen any studies that hurt you by using visuals. No, the only thing that I had seen, and the statistic goes both ways, is using emojis in a subject Mm -hmm. line. Now, I had heard that it helps increase, you know, some research shows that it helps increase open rates, but then I also heard you're more likely to end up in somebody's spam I don't know if that's true, but so it's sort of, I mean, what do you think when you see an emoji and a subject line, are you more likely you think to open it or not? Not. That's interesting you say that because I had someone share not too long ago, an email marketer with me that she was saying, if because we were talking about different things like subject lines, what makes people open. My background is in journalism first and foremost. And so my thought is I treat subject headlines like a headline, right? So I cap the appropriate letters. And she said, studies have shown if you don't capitalize them, they get opened more frequently, which yeah. I thought was really interesting. I don't know about the emojis. I know they also say, what is it? Eight characters or less than a subject headline stands the best chance of not eight characters, eight, eight words. words. I yeah. don't know how many characters that is, but there's, you know, different rules about that. I, I don't know about emojis, but I kind of tend Early on, I thought it was kind of neat the first time I saw it, but then once everyone adopted it, it right. then you kind of get grouped in with the masses. I think that's what it is, is they were getting overused. And whenever I see one in my inbox, and especially if they use a lot of different emojis, I know it's it's a promotional email. Mm-hmm. Like my friends just don't send things like that to me. So <laughs> I don't know. But just to your point about the lower case, that was something that I, I talked about yesterday in my talk because- when you use all lowercase words in your subject line, it looks like you just dashed it off like you would to a friend. Like you're not, mm-hmm. if you capitalize, you use um, 
title case, is that what they call it when it's just every yeah. letter is capitalized? It looks like a newsletter. Like it looks like something that you know you're going to be sold to. So you keeping it all lowercase. And it looks a little weird when you're not used to, to doing it like that, but it is shown to increase open rates. So then again, that's also being overused. Like everyone's doing it now. So how long before that, you know, that becomes not an issue anymore? I don't know. <laughs> but I think that's interesting, like you said, because it's like if you dash it off to a friend, right? So that makes me go, okay, let's step back and think about how do we communicate with our friends? What are little things we do that make us more likely to open a friend's email? Which I know this has been exploited by some companies, but it it just makes my mind start thinking, okay, what are the things that I would open up or then a friend would send me? How can I write in that manner? Like a lot of times I'll spend maybe too much time thinking about that. <laughs> but I think it warrants like, it's an interesting experiment to try. Like it's an, you know, it's interesting to pull in some of those techniques and see, obviously with some brands, that's not going to work, right? Like if it's a more conservative professional organization, that that's not really their personality or brand that wouldn't work, but something that's a little more fun, kind of interesting to explore. Yeah. The only time I don't like it is when I, I remember getting one um, subject line. This is when I was running an online business for a while and the subject line, and it was not from anyone I knew, but I didn't know that said, I, how dare you was a subject line. I was so freaked out. I'm one of these people. I'm very obsessive. Like when I see that, I didn't want to open it. I was afraid of what it said. And all I could do, like I, I held off on opening that for hours. I was walking around like, who did I offend? How could I, how dare, what did I do? You know, finally I opened it and it was an ad. It was, and I, I could have strangled the, I, I put them in spam and just, but you don't want to do things like that either where yes. you're really, you know, and there's other ones that are sort of like that. Like, um, did you miss our appointment or something like that? And, you know, I'm like, what did I miss? And it was just a ploy to get me to open the email. Like don't trick people into, you know. No, no. I think it's one thing to take a more casual, concise, um, tone in the email, meaning like you're explaining something in a more simplistic format. Like I was with some colleagues not too long ago and this individual was explaining this complex topic. And then one of my colleagues started laughing and he said, okay, now explain it to me like I'm a kindergartner because I didn't get that. And so she then re-explained it and we all understood it. So I think that when I say that's such a great distinction, I think when you think about more of how would you explain something or converse with a friend, I think it's taking that in a way in which you explain it or express yourself as opposed to tricking people in such a blind because no one wants clickbait or anything like that. That's just, that's not being authentic either. That does you no favors. But I think if you can take the lessons of how would I simplistically explain this to someone that doesn't have 10 years background in X, Y, and Z? There's some fun value in that. Is that what you mean by the curse of knowledge when you think? Absolutely. And that's what the curse of knowledge is. It's when you are so deep in your topic, you're a subject matter expert that you assume your audience has a higher knowledge base than they do. And so when you start talking to them, assuming they have a certain understanding, you lose them instantly because they don't. And it's also a lot of times when you go to a presentation, you'll run into that. Um, the individuals are so deep in their topic that they'll launch right in. Or I just got an email just in my work email not too long ago where this individual launched right into their product and 
it was all about what they are and what they can do. And, and it was assuming I even understood what they were talking about or what their product or how it related to my role in the organization or my organization. And so missed the mark, right? Missed the mark. There's this great visualization of like a castle and it says what you think you've communicated. And then the next picture is like, the steeple of the castle and maybe a block and something else. And it's like what you've actually communicated. And I think that's what we run into. I think that's the best visual descriptor of, we think we've, everyone's at the same level and we thoroughly explained it. And people are like, wait, I don't, I don't understand how these connect. And the worst part about that is a lot of times the people who don't understand are afraid to ask because they're like, well, I should know this. I, I run into this sometimes on LinkedIn when people are really in, like I'm on the outskirts of marketing. I mean, what I do is marketing, but it's more copywriting. So I don't always understand the acronyms. I don't always understand what people are talking about. I mean, I understand a lot better now that I've been in the world for a couple of years, but I still, a lot of times will have to really look at, I'll look up acronyms and just to understand what's being said. And sometimes I just won't bother, but I'm not going to ask them. You know, because and a lot of times you look up the acronym and there's like 15 different ways that things that it could stand for. <laughs> I don't know what this is. Just say it, right? So absolutely, and you just lost an audience, right? Yeah. Like you just lost audience members because of the curse of knowledge, right? Like you just assumed everyone was at your level, and there's no there's no shame in going back and giving a quick explanation or spelling something out for the first time. That's why you know. Associated press, the rules are you always spell out the acronym first and then you can use it in subsequent references. We should employ that in all of our daily lives because to your point, there's 20 different acronyms for everything. It's not very right. clear. And as a former content writer, I, I'm so used to doing that anyway. It's even like when someone's a doctor, you know, you first you put MD, then you put doctor, and then you just put their last name. I don't know. There's a whole sequence, <laughs> but there's a lot of rules, you know, when it comes to that, but just to make things clearer, really. You want to talk about creating a moment to help your campaign. What does that mean? Like when you create a moment? Well, you know, I think the best way is there's a book called The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath. Again, you can tell I'm a huge fan of these guys, but they talk about first example I thought was so great. There's a hotel or motel when the book was published in LA that had TripAdvisor. It had off the charts scores on TripAdvisor. It beat Weston or Seasons, anything that was one of those thought to be the best of the best, right. right? And some of the reasons, they're fantastic. So you sit at a pool in their courtyard, nothing fancy about any of their rooms, but there's a red phone. And when you pick up that red phone, you order popsicles and someone brings them out on a silver tray to you. You can also drop your laundry off and they will wash it and bring it back to you. And they have just free snacks like Cheetos and Kit Kats and things like that and board games and DVDs. And so the point is that this hotel did not have a spectacular, it's not like they have spectacular accommodations. Their rooms are normal, they're adequate, but they've added these little things that create a moment that make people when they go from that two week vacation, yeah, they'll talk about Disneyland or what else they'll do, but they'll go, you know what? We stayed at this pool where you pick up the red bat phone and you get popsicles. And so it's just that it's just using a little bit of creative creativity to create an event. We don't have to wait for national blah, blah, blah day to celebrate, or we don't have to create this big elaborate thing. There are little things we can do that create moments that get people's attention. And so, you know, they use other examples throughout the book. One I was just, I stumbled upon not too long ago, 
Spotify, the pasta maker Brilla, they created Spotify lists that match up with their different pasta noodles. Really? And so they are the exact length it takes to cook that pasta noodle. So you, you know, turn on that playlist when you've got, you know, whatever spaghetti in. And as soon as the playlist stops, your pasta is done. And so it's just creative, interesting things that create a, mo- a moment or create something that distinguishes you. It doesn't have to be huge. It's just something that sets you apart from the crowd and makes people remember you. Right. And I think that's another way to stop the scroll. It's another way to get people's attention if you're launching a campaign or, you know, we don't have to just say, hey, it's time for our annual blah, 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 blah. We can create something. We can make something different. And I worked for a company where we were very much in sustainability. This was in the mid 2000s, early 2000s. And so the whole focus was sustainability. And they really wanted to back up what they were saying. So one year for Christmas, they brought in a ceramics company and we all painted our own plates. And they took away all the kitchen utensils at the headquarters. Like, And we for Christmas, we all got utensils and then we got our plate that we painted. Yeah, they could have easily just put out plates or they could have done something, but they created a moment. And that was 20 years ago. And I still remember it. So it's just it's using a little creativity. It's, it goes back to how can you stop the scroll? How can you make people stop and pay attention? And it doesn't have to be something huge. It just can be something that's just a little bit, a little bit different. And it doesn't even have to cost anything. If anything, it's going to make more money for you. And I think I had mentioned, we had talked about this earlier, that about the restaurant. I don't know where it is. I think it's in the UK where they have a, you go to the uh, the restaurant and they have a button on the table that says, push the button for champagne. And it's almost like it's the popsicle idea, but on a different level. And people who don't even normally order champagne will hit it because it, they gamified it, a button who can't resist, you know, who can resist a button. And then just, you know, it's fun. You get this bubbly, you know, champagne and it just evokes all these feelings of like a celebration, even if you maybe you just went there for a regular dinner, it wasn't really any particular occasion. But that restaurant sells more champagne than like any any restaurant anywhere. It's just because they made it an event that's easy to. That's the other thing. It's it's easy to do. You're just hitting a button. You're not, you know, if they said for free champagne, fill out this form and tell us why you liked, you know, that would be a whole different thing. And it's not at all what would entice people to to take that kind of action, at least not that quickly. Absolutely. And, you know, it just makes, I was at a work conference. I had to go to our, a work meeting not too long ago. And so we were catching the shuttle. A bunch of us had gathered. I had not met any of these people. We're, we're kind of standing there waiting for our shuttle to come up and our shuttle pulls up and it's a shorter shuttle and the woman gets out and she opens the door and it's like green strobe lights and this techo, techno music is blasting. And it's got, I mean, it is the most fun. I, I said to the person next to me, I said, are we going to a bachelorette party or are we going to work? But the point was, we were chatting about that for days. I told that story to so many people. And again, it was just a silly shuttle pickup. It wasn't that big of a deal, but the music, the drinks, the everything, like it just created this, this moment. It created a moment that we're still talking about. And so I think to your point, it doesn't, it's not complicated. It was simple. It was easy to talk about, but it made a lasting impression. Yeah. Well, my last question, and this is, I'm kind of throwing this at you without any 
<laughs> without warning you, but I think you'll know the answers. What are like maybe three tips that people can do to create a moment or create something that's memorable for their audience? Like are there like a few simple things they can do? First, brainstorm. Don't try to do it by yourself. There is the thing I missed when I used to freelance was getting together with people to brainstorm. So and in fact, I would say if you're in a business or maybe you're a contractor, but just bring some friends together, pull out some drinks, you know, have some snacks and make even that event a moment, right? Like pull out, you know, there was this one bar in Austin when I lived there years ago that we used to go to and we would go to it because they sold Cheetos. <laughs> you know, stupid as that. But my point is like, create even your brainstorm a moment, right? Like just make it fun and different. The brainstorm. That's my number one thing. And bringing people from different departments or different areas of your life. Don't just bring in your marketing friends or your writing friends or your other people that do what you do. Bring in other people, set a timer for 30 minutes, put up some big white sticky notes or just paper and brainstorm. Just start tossing ideas around because that, you know, we are all great on our own. We can come up with some cool ideas, but when you get a lot of people thinking about it and tossing things around, that's when the really cool campaigns come out. So that would be my number one tip. Brainstorm. Even if you're a solopreneur or anything, just pull them together. You will be amazed at what comes from it. And you'll come up with some really, really cool ideas. Mm -hmm. My next, I think, I guess, suggestion would be study it. Start researching what other companies have done. Look at what stands out. You know, we just listed several examples. I would highly recommend the Bowered Moments book. I mean, that certainly is a great place to start by the Heath Brothers. But I would look around. Like, I like to see social media will pick up something cool. Things trend when, for instance, I was just on the Instagram account for Nutter Butters, (laughs) um, those cookies. And what they're doing in social media is hilarious. Oh, really? They just created the funniest little things. And I think they got called out by some advertising publication or something. That's how I found it. But I think if you just start looking to see, you know, social media is good at pulling things that are really funny and making them circulate. And so I would say my second piece of advice would be pay attention to that and take notes. I have a note where I, a notebook where I just write ideas down things that I might not ever need, but just cool things that people did that I think now that that's a really cool idea. I don't know how to replicate it, but I think it would be fun to explore more in the future. Yeah. And so I just keep track because you never know. I do that with words too. When I hear a really cool word, I write it down. Like you never know when you might need to go back and pull from that. And then I think probably my third one would be to think about what your audience needs, what they're looking for, what they're doing. So if if your audience is very straightforward or if your product is something they're busy or like whatever their pain point is, Mm -hmm. think about how this moment relates to that pain point. So maybe they're stressed um, or they're, you know, your product is a solution for that. Maybe offer up like a free thing and make Friday your ergonomics day, right? Where you send out an ergonomics tip every Friday or something. Just think about something that will resonate with your audience. That can be, that's not a huge thing, but people will pay attention to it. And so there's just little things you can do that will directly relate back to what you're trying to do. But it's just little stuff. Like we don't need, it's popsicles on a tray, on a tray, right? It's not, it's not huge. It doesn't have to be, 
you don't have to have the budget of a multi-billion dollar company to create a moment. And in fact, some of the best ones, they used one, one last example they used in the Power of Moments. They talked about a school and how they created this mock jury trial for seniors in high school. And so then they got to go to the courtroom and they got to do their whole case. And this became the highlight of all these seniors. Every year they highlighted this was their favorite thing they did. They didn't do anything like, yes, they had to cover the fee to get the buses and they had to get the courtroom that they could go in. But it wasn't it wasn't huge. Like this isn't something that, you know, they had to create. They just had to do some coordination. So I think to that point is and in that case, their students pain point was their board. Right. School was boring. There was nothing memorable. So they created something that was memorable, you know, maybe. There's just little things you can do that it doesn't have to be much. And I like to pay attention to what stands out to me. Like, what is it that I receive as a consumer that catches my attention? And it's usually a good place to start. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because I ask everyone in my podcast guests for their address for a thank you note, like you sent me yours. So I'll be sending you a card. But the reason I send thank you cards, handwritten thank you cards, is because I, I've received a couple, it's been a couple of years, over a couple of years, because most people don't do that. And the way that it made me feel was like, this person took the time to, to write this out, to put a stamp on it, to get it, you know, to mail it out. And so now that made me want to create that moment for other people. So it's sort of, and it's doesn't cost anything more than a couple of dollars from Amazon to get the cards. <laughs> so that's it. So people remember it. And as someone who forces their 10-year-old son to write thank you notes for everything, I love it. <laughs> Maybe that's where I got it from just having, you know, from being a kid. And I, because I, I had the same thing with my parents, you got to write a thank you note. So, well, this has been awesome. So where can people find you if they want to know more about you? LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Karen Nicholas Communications is my handle. I have a website that I'm currently redoing. Isn't that what everyone says? But it's just karennicklips.com. And so I'm, of course, redoing it because I don't like it as it is now. But I'm kind of transitioning more from trying to create a blog space and some other interactive things there and start a newsletter. So that would be a great place to find me as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it as well. Thanks. We'll talk soon. That wraps up today's episode. I hope you found it as fun to listen to as it was for me to record. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe. And for additional info, visit my website at thecopyworks.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.